This is Zoe Church LA. We're not just fans, but rather followers of Jesus. Tune in as Pastor Chad Veach teaches of God's love and how we can live a Zoe life, an abundant life. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we know that the Bible is a collection of, well, 66 books. It's got a number of different authors, and um, this is kind of one of the heavyweight. In fact, we find most of our theology, our belief about God from this man, his name is Paul. Paul is writing to us as we have talked about each week. He's writing from maybe house arrest or prison from Rome. And he's writing to this church in a city called Ephesus. Now, Paul is like a father in the faith. So he's not their physical dad, but he's like their spiritual dad. He's birthed this community. He loves these people. He's passionate about them. And he's writing as a father to his well, for lack of a better way to say it, to his kids. He's writing to his kids and he's telling them about who Jesus is and about what the church should look like. So he's writing to them. He's giving them insights. He's giving them revelations. Now, we have talked about that the book of Ephesians is divided, well, it's divided in half. The first three chapters within this book are the position we have as believers in Jesus. Because you believe in Jesus, because you believe in God, you are positioned now in forgiveness. You are positioned in grace. You have been redeemed. You have been seated in heavenly places. You have been forgiven. Anybody thankful today that though you didn't earn it, anybody grateful for your position you have in Christ? Ten people are excited about this. Anybody else excited about the position of the believer? We transferred over in chapter 4, and now we're going to continue on the next two chapters. Now he's talking about the activity of the believer. I like this part because most of us just want to come and just receive a bunch of stuff, but now he's actually talking about as Christians, we get to go do a bunch of stuff. We get to live out our faith. We are not called to come to Sunday to Sunday services, singing some songs and taking communion and just getting ours, coming for the goosebumps and I'm out. No, we are called to do something in this world. Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus. Guys, you're going you're gonna to become the church that God has dreamt of. You're going to do something in your city and in your community. And the way that you're going to accomplish this is by being convinced you are this in Christ. And through his power, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I'm believing that our church, Zoe Church, will be a church like Paul had dreamt of, like God had spoken of, the church of influence, the church that is glorious, a church that is on the move for the glory of God on this planet Earth. If I can get a witness, say amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, i got to be honest to you, uh, personally speaking. The first four chapters, I have to be honest, we are, was so much fun preparing and getting ready. How could you not get excited about Chapter 1, chapter 2, the things that we reviewed in chapter 3. Every chapter up to this point has been so exciting, has been so riveting, has been so fun to tell you. Chapter 5 I came to, and as I read, I said, OMG, this is real. This is where, as they say, the rubber meets the road. This is a chapter that's laced with actually moving out of our past and now walking in our present. The Bible's actually going to teach us how to practically live out our faith and how to move out of darkness, out of who we used to be, and into the call of God on our life. Anybody excited about getting past your past and now walking in your God-given potential? If I can get a witness, let me do the stomp thing and y'all clap a little louder. Come on, somebody say amen. By the way, if you're new to our church, we are not a quiet church. We are a loud church. Somebody say amen. 
We're a talkback church. I went to the movies the other day, and we were watching a movie, my wife and I, and everybody was yelling at the screen and laughing, and I thought, that's what I want the church to be like, this movie right here. So let's be loud in the church. Somebody say amen. Watch what it says here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. It says, uh, in the message translation, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life, not of hate, not of division, but of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Skipping down in chapter 5 now to verse 8. And we're skipping translations. We went from the message. Now we're entering into the NIV. I like the way the NIV writes these verses. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather, what are we doing? We're exposing them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. By the way, can I just pause and say, I just received a text message from someone in the church uh, this morning that said we, uh, there was a church that was gathered, I believe, and was it in Egypt. And this morning, celebrating Palm Sunday, and ISIS came in, and did they do a bomb or something? And the days are evil, are they not, church? And we, we saw what happened in Syria, and we saw what happened in Egypt. Let's pause right now, and let's pray for the situation in Egypt. If you wouldn't mind, just in the middle of our Bible reading, let's pray for the families, the children, everybody involved in Egypt. God, we pray for what's happening right now in real time in Egypt, and we thwart the attack of the enemy. We say no to Satan and the schemes of the devil. And we declare love and peace, healing and restoration. God, we don't know how you're going to do it, but we have faith that only you can do it. So we trust not in ourselves, but we trust in you. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And we all said together. Now in that in light, let's read 15 and 16 again. Watch what it's saying. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are, what? What is that word? They're evil days. We've got to make the most of every opportunity. And we're going to end back in the message translation. He's going to skip subjects. He always does this mid-chapter. And um, he's going to go now talk about relationships at the end of this chapter. It says this, wives, all the her night ladies, understand and support your husbands in the ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife and the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Don't get too excited, husbands. We coming at you now. <laughs> husbands, go all out in your love for your wives. All the ladies said amen. Exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk. 
radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Somebody say amen. I love there is four themes that we're going to go through out of this chapter. We're going to study and focus on four things. I'm going to bring five points out of it, but there are four themes we're going to walk through. I want to preach a message. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's called, I say this because I love you. The title of today's message, I say this because I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't say it. But because I love you, I say it. I say this because I love you. You ever had a conversation with somebody? where you had to say, the only reason why I'm saying this is because I love you, and you dropped a bomb on them. I say this because I love you. You need a Tic Tac. But I'm saying it because I love you. I'm saying this because I love you. Here's a piece of Orbit's gum, but I love you. Let's pray, and let's believe that God will speak to us today and that we all get some Orbit's. God, we thank you for today's uh, Palm Sunday. We're mindful that you're good. We're mindful that you're gracious. Come and speak to us and encourage us in your love and do it in a way that only you can do. God, we're asking you on a Sunday like today that we would be strengthened and be encouraged by your word. Open up our eyes so we can see Jesus. Open up our ears so we can hear the Holy Spirit. Do something unique and profound. And God, we are thanking you for next Sunday. May many people come to know the grace of Jesus because of what happens at the Wiltern next Sunday, 10, 12, 5, and 7. And God, we're going to give you all the praise and the honor for it. Lord, we thank you that you have gone before us and prepared not only the Wiltern, but the greatest Easter brunch we've ever consumed. We say yes to these scraps eggs and sausages and bacons and hams that you prepared in Jesus name and we all said together come on somebody put your hands together if you're excited for next Sunday even the brunch is going to be awesome amen um this this last week was kind of a it was a bucket list week for me I got to go and fly down to Augusta Georgia where the Masters is happening and uh, it was just a, a, as a sports fan as a guy that I'm not a golfer because that would connotate that I'm good at it I play golf. I'm not a golfer, but I'm a fan of the game, so I got to go down and be at Augusta, Georgia, and probably one of the most unique experiences about going to Augusta, Georgia in the Masters this week was, coincidentally, it just so happened that my father, who has raised me to love golf and play golf, happened to be going to the Masters for the first time as well. So at the Masters, when you get there, there is no cell phones allowed. Like, if you have your cell phone out, they're going to escort you from the premises. You can't use the phone. So my dad and I, the night before, were trying to plan how we were going to meet up, where we were going to meet up, and and, and how we were going to execute this. So we had a plan in place. Now, there's 40,000 people at the golf event and no cell phones. How did people used to do this back in the day? So, So my dad and I have the strategy. Well, we were going to meet up on hole one, but there's so many crowds, there's so many people, there's no cell phones, and I don't meet up with my dad. I felt, even though I'm 37, I have a few chest hairs and one mortgage payment, I, I, I just felt like a little kid, like I couldn't wait to see my dad. Like my dad became a rock star in my mind again. I couldn't wait to see my dad. So my dad is, is, is nowhere to be found on hole one. Hole two, I still can't find him. Hole three, still, I, I can't find my dad. On hole number four, our friend has already hit his tee shot, and I'm walking, and I look up, and I promise you I feel seven, I see my dad. I see my dad and I can't help myself at this prestigious etiquette event. I yell out, dad! I was just so pumped. I went up and my dad and I, my dad's not a hugger. You know dads that don't hug? 
my dad's not a big like embrace, I love you guy. I gave my dad the biggest hug. I picked him up a little bit, you know, because my dad's a short guy and I'm 6'3". So I picked up my dad a little bit, like, Ugh, you know, just gave him a little love. And I was just so excited. Like my dad and I walked ear to ear and I was like, my dad, you know, I just keep putting my arm around him. Like, is this not amazing? Is this not so cool? Oh my, we're at the Masters together. And I, I can just recall so many times watching the Masters with my dad, just watching golf growing up. Yesterday, it is Saturday, I'm in LA, I'm, I'm getting ready, you know, for a great Sunday. And my son, my, my, my three-year-old, my three-year-old, I got him to watch pretty much the whole back nine with me of the Masters. And I'm thinking back to when my dad used to watch golf with me. Now I'm watching golf with my son and my love that I have for golf came from him. And now I'm depositing. I'm not saying I'm a sports dad like Lonzo, Lonzo Ball. I'm just saying that I'm giving my son a love for a great game. So we watched the whole back nine together. And I, I, I was just, I, w- I was moved this week because of the power of a parent, the power of influence. Paul is not writing these words going like, hey, guess what, guys? Don't do this and do do that. And you better make sure. And no, he's writing from, from Rome to Ephesus in the spirit of a parent, the spirit of a father. Saying not, you better, oh, if I catch you, I'm telling you, don't you. He's writing these words to give them the best life that he can offer. Of saying, you know what, hey guys, probably in 40 years time, there might not even be an eyewitness of this account. In 40 years time, we're not going to have pictures and documents of this whole thing. So the way you live is going to ensure that the next generation gets the faith. The way that we ensure that Christ will be preached to our children and our grandchildren and our other grandchildren is that we live a certain way. Come on, am I preaching to anybody today that has a passion not only to receive some stuff, but to live out and walk some stuff? He's writing in the spirit of a father saying, guys, the way we preserve this for the next generations is we live a certain lifestyle. Our faith should not just be coming from Sunday to Sunday, event to event. It should be something that live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when we steal the Easter eggs, and even next Sunday. Watch the themes of this chapter. Watch, here's the first thing that he's going to say. He's going to say, guys, kids, we are walk-in-love people. We are not lust people. Can you write that down, point number one today? We are, we're love people, not lust people. What did it say? It said, study the Father, watch, watch God, and imitate, do exactly the way that he does. The way he loves, the way he operates, that's how you should operate. I find myself now as a father that some of the things that drove me nuts that my dad would say, I now say these things. Some of the things that drove me nuts about my dad, I am doing. Because why? Because you're a product of your environment. You are what you study. You are the in, you are sum total of the influences of your life. The Bible is saying, let God be an influence. Study God. Watch God. Invite God. And the way he loves, how did he love? He leveraged everything. He gave us, he didn't hold back. He didn't measure out. He loved with everything that was in his fiber and being. The Bible is teaching us and Paul is saying, love with that kind of tenacity. Love with that kind of, we are not lust people, we are love people. Now, I love that the Bible is defining who we are not so we know who we are. Lust is the opposite of love. Love chooses the better for the other person. Lust is the demand for self. 
Now, usually when the word lust gets dropped, we think immediately of sexual connotation, lust. But lust is actually, by definition, lust is desire gone mad. The desire for wealth, the desire for fame, the desire for anything that is not love. He is saying we are not lust people, we are love people. Love people give to Syria. Love people give to Peru. Love people stop the service and pray for Egypt. Love people are for others. When you start to be a person of lust, it's all for you. How can I obtain? How can I acquire? How can I get mine? How can I get famous? How can I make more money? When you're a love person, you say, how can I bless? How can I help? How can I serve? How can I add value? Zoe Church is not a lust church. We don't have a lust to be big. We don't have a lust to be known. We have a desire to love our city, to love Los Angeles, to love the brokenhearted. Come on, am I preaching to anybody today that has made a line in the sand? I'm not living in lust in my marriage. I'm not lusting as a single person. I'm not lusting for more. I am satisfied with the love of God and I'm studying a man that is the definition of love. By the way, God doesn't do love. He is love. And when he is love, we look at his love and we go, that's the standard. That's how I should live. I should live in love. I should live giving and loving and helping and adding value. I'm not a person of lust. Lust takes. Lust demands today. Lust says now. Love says later. So he says, guys, just a heads up. We are not lust people. We are we're love people. And furthermore, not only are we defined by our love in our communities, but even more, we are, write down point number two, we are light people. We are not stumbling in the dark. Can you write that down, point number two? We're living in the light. We're not stumbling in the dark. In other words, Paul's saying, guys, do you understand who you used to be? You used to stumble in the darkness. You used to stumble trying to figure out, what do I do with my life? What do I do with my finances? What do I do in my career? How can I get, I was talking to somebody this last week, and they have, in our opinion, we would consider this person to have a substantial amount of success. And they were talking and using words like empty, void, frustrated, no identity, no purpose. And it proves once again that money doesn't give you identity. Fame doesn't solve problems. The Bible is teaching us that we don't stumble in the darkness anymore. What did you do in the darkness? You were a liar. You were deceitful. You were a cheat. You were a gossip. You were a busybody. That is what we were doing when we were stumbling in the darkness. But now that we found Jesus, we live and we walk in the light. When you've got the light of Christ, you've got a, a, a light bulb on your path. You are walking all the days of your life with a little bit of identity, with a little bit of direction, with a a little bit of sovereignty, a little bit of providence, a little bit of God direction. Anybody thankful today that you're not stumbling in the darkness anymore because you found Jesus, you got the light of Christ. Five people are clapping. This is encouraging. I, I just think, why would you walk in the darkness when the light is such a life of, did you see the three words he defined? When you walk in the light, you've got three things. You've got goodness, righteousness, and truth. When you're walking in the light, I've got goodness. What's goodness? I'm doing good things, not bad things. Righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is living in the right standing before the Father. In other words, when I live in darkness, I'm shady, I'm hiding, I'm, 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 I'm corrupt, I've got crouching tiger, hidden dragon, movie reference, IMDb it, and... Um, but when I'm in the light, I've got nothing to hide. 
because I'm standing right before the Father. My life is in right standing. My finances are in right standing. My relationships are in right standing. I live as the Bible teaches me with a clear conscience. He says when you live in the light, you, you, got, you got goodness, you got righteousness, and truth. I always find that when someone's living in the darkness, their life is defined by secrets. Their life is defined by what they're hiding from other people. They've got things in the closet. They've got things under the rug. But when you're walking in the light, you've got nothing to hide. By the way, when I walk in the light, I don't ever have to tell the darkness how dark it is. All I have to do is shine because there's a difference between light and darkness. When I live in L.A., I don't feel like i got to walk around our city going like, you're so dark, you are so dark, oh my gosh, you are so dark. No, no, I walk around, I just shine. Say, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bush, oh no. I'm going to let it shine. He's saying, we, 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 we walk in love, not in hate, not in division, not in gossip, not in disunity. We walk in love. Why? What's our standard of love? Christ is the standard of love. We walk in the light, not in darkness. And when you are, did you hear what he said? I don't know if you, because we read through it, but watch what he said. He said, guys, the things that happen in the darkness, don't even mention them. As if to say, don't even give these guys enough pleasure that you're sitting around talking about how dark that is. Let the darkness be the dark. I don't need to sit around some coffee table and talk about darkness. He said, don't even mention the deeds of darkness. We know what those things are. We've actually been delivered out of them. We should live a life of what? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So he says, first of all, we're walking in in love. Second of all, we're walking in, in light. Here's the third thing that he's saying in verse 15 to 16. He says, we're walking in wisdom. Now, I want you to make a confession this week. We've been doing a confession every week out of this series. Here's this week's confession. Write down on your phone. Confession. I have the wisdom I need to face what's in front of me today. I have the wisdom I need to face what's in front of me. God has given me wisdom. The Bible teaches us in the book of James, is if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God because he gives wisdom freely. Anybody thankful today that when you lack wisdom on a situation, you lack wisdom on a decision, you lack wisdom on a relationship, anybody thankful that you don't have to go to a friend before you can go to God? You can go to God and get wisdom. How do I navigate this? What do you want me to do? Now, by definition, can you write this down? Wisdom, it is the application of knowledge. So in other words, I cannot apply, come on church, what I do not know. So how do I know stuff? I'll give you four ways to find out, get some knowledge so you can get, eventually get wisdom. Here's four ways you can get knowledge. You can get it by reading. Somebody in the back's like, what's that? <laughs> you can get it by reading a book, reading a blog. I'm going to release an Easter blog this week. You can read about, wisdom, about knowledge to, to find wisdom. You can listen. Write down two. You can listen so you can acquire and obtain knowledge and information. Number three, you can do it by watching. I watch others' mistakes so I don't repeat the same mistakes. I don't have to live a life filled with mistakes and falling. No, I can watch other people go, not going to do that, not going to say that, not going to post that, not going to be that way, not going to talk to my spouse that way, not going to do that. No, thank you. I'm good. Anybody thankful you can watch? And then write down the fourth thing. You get knowledge and wisdom by failure. I learned what not to do and what to do 
based off my past experiences. So the Bible, and this is our confession this week, I have the wisdom I need to face what's in front of me today. Can I just ask you, what are you facing in your life? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a business decision. Maybe it's something that's bigger than you could ever think of. Maybe you got something in front of you. Can I give you a confession this week? I have the wisdom from God to to navigate and govern my life. By the way, the Bible teaches us in James chapter 3 exactly what the wisdom from above is. Oh, I love this part. James 3 says, the wisdom from above, it is pure, peaceable, gentle, unreasonable, without hypocrisy, unwavering, bearing the fruits of mercy and and grace. it, It bears fruit. It's got mercy in it. It is unwavering. In other words, the the wisdom from God, it is not duplistic and have double standards. You ever know someone that lives by a double standard? The wisdom from God is one standard. And I want to believe for your life that you have the wisdom you need to navigate your todays. You have the wisdom from God on how to solve that problem. You ought to have a confession this week. I have the wisdom from God that shows me. Watch what he said. He said, guys, do not walk unwise, but walk wise. Well, what does unwise look like? Oh, the unwise looks like a fool. A fool blabs their mouth and talks too much. A fool spends their money so they can project an image that is a false reality. A fool lives by pride. A fool is someone that sleeps around. A fool, even in this chapter, it says, don't drink to get drunk, but be drunk on the Spirit of God. A fool is drunk on wine. Uh, Don't live a foolish life. Live a wise life. I pray that Zoe Church, we would be marked by our wisdom. We would, wisdom is just getting the knowledge from God and applying it to our everyday life. I pray that over your family. I pray that over your business. I pray that over your life that you would be marked with the wisdom from God. If anybody wants some wisdom, just lift their hand right now. Let's pray one more time. God, I pray for every hand that's raised and I declare the wisdom from above. Give us the wisdom of God. We thank you that wisdom is coming to us right now. You said, ask of me and you will give us this wisdom. Show us wisdom in every area of our life, we declare we will not walk as unwise, but we will walk as wise in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Now watch what Paul says. He says, don't be unwise, be wise. Making the most of every opportunity, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Making the most of every opportunity. You know what I think about your life? I think you have more opportunity than you realize. I think you have more opportunity that you could ever ask, think, or imagine of. I think opportunity has not only come your way, opportunity is going to continue to come your way. You've got opportunity today to do good. You've got opportunity today to encourage somebody. You've got opportunity today to rise up to be the person you're called to be. Opportunity is around us, but the only way that we can make the most of every opportunity is by casting off foolishness and walking in wisdom. Wisdom sees opportunity and they say, right now. Wisdom sees opportunity and says, let go. This last week in Augusta, I knew there was a few times this last week, here's an opportunity, here's an opportunity, here's an opportunity. And when an opportunity comes your way, I've, I've said it before, but for those of you that haven't heard it, I believe this with all my heart. Opportunities of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. So I believe when opportunities come my way, I better step in there and say something. I better step up and say something. I better step up and give when I need to give. Forgive when I need to forgive. Help when I need to help. Opportunity, I knew there was a few times this week, an opportunity came my way. I said, oh, oh, I'm not a fool. I want to be marked by wisdom. I've got to make the most of ever, every opportunity because that's how I redeem the time in evil days. 
oh, I love what the Bible's teaching us today. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in wisdom. Somebody say amen. And then he transitions. He's always doing this. He's always mid-chapter, writing about some love, light, and wisdom. And then he just flips the script and he goes to marriage. And he starts talking about husbands and wives. And I want to end today's teaching with this part. It's the last few verses within this chapter. He writes down and he starts to address wives. And he actually gives us, as a community, the standard for marriage. You ever see people on social media and they see a married couple and they're like, goals? You've seen this. Jesus is going to give us, or Paul the Apostle, is going to give us goals. Write down point number four. Jesus and the church, this relationship, this is our model for marriage. He actually goes like, guys, don't, don't just look at Oprah and Stedman. I'm going to show you another model. I'm going to show you exactly what this thing looks like. He's like, guys, the way that, now, the, Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. So he's teaching us the way that a husband and a wife should operate. What does he say to the wives? He says, wives, support your man. Be supportive. Be respectful. Submit to their leadership. By the way, can I speak to the guys for a moment? Our job as guys, I took a class years ago that was, uh, it was called Men's Fraternity, and it taught the role of a, of a, of a man that's supposed to be a man of God. And a man of God's supposed to be a protector. And a man of God's supposed to be a provider. And a man of God is supposed to be the priest of their home. And it talks about all these things. Now, guys, it will be easy for your wife to follow you if she can trust you. The reason why the church follows the leadership of Jesus is because how, how hard it is to follow a guy that you can trust, hook, line, and sinker. How hard is it for us as the church to follow Jesus? He died for our sins, and he's the leader of our lives and of our church. And he's saying, basically, if the husband does his job cherishing, loving, giving, that we should, as the wives, we should say, you know what? I'm going to be a partner. I'm going to fall in line. Uh, not fall, oh, fall in line. I almost got in trouble right there in the front row. I ain't even looking. I ain't even looking, baby. That was a mistake. That was more foolish than wisdom. I didn't have any other options in my brain. I'm praying for forgiveness, all right? Ding, fall in line, ding. Yo, my bad. We'll talk after the 10, okay? She gets up, walks out. But he is saying something, isn't he? He's saying that the husband should be the leader. He's saying that, that respectfully, in the same way that, that the church follows the leadership of, of Jesus, that wives, he's saying, wives, husbands, you submit to your wives, and wives, you submit to your husband. You let, let him lead. There's nothing more frustrating than seeing a marriage where the wife has to lead because the man neglects his responsibility. He's saying if the husband does his job, it will be easy for the wife. So wives, and he goes on a whole long list of exactly what this thing should look like, the model of marriage, the way that Jesus loves the church. And he's going to continue on. And write down the fifth and the last point, worship team, you can come join me. Watch what he says. Write down point number five. We go all out because Jesus goes all out. If we can, if you can in the back, put up those last verses in Ephesians chapter five, the last verses we read, and watch once again what the Bible teaches us about Jesus going all out. Is this message encouraging anybody today? Watch what it says here. It says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by 
giving, not by getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words, watch what his words do to the church. Husbands, watch what these words do to your wives. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor. Hello, church. Since they're already one in marriage. Did you, did you hear what the Bible's teaching us? Saying Jesus has gone all out for the church. I mean, just everything. He, he evokes the beauty of the church. He washes the church with his words. He loves the church. He, he's obsessed with the church. The church is Jesus' greatest passion. We are the church, the bride of Christ. The way that he treats us is beyond our comprehension. He loves us, doesn't he? He, we're the apple of his eye. We're the obsession of his life. He, he loves us. He evokes uh, the beauty out of us. He, he's bringing us into radiance glory. He's, he's doing everything within us so that a church is not beaten down and broken and hurting and a, and a joke and a disaster. He wants the church to flourish. He wants the church to be at its best. He wants the church to be radiant. Come on, anybody thankful today that this is the love of Jesus going all out to the bride of Christ. And that model, that all-out nature is the same way that dudes ought to love their woman. He's saying, guys, go all out. Draw out the best in her. Love her. for. I, I'm telling you, I'm reading these words this week, and I'm challenged personally. I'm going, do I love my, life this, my, my, my wife this way? Do I serve her with this compassion? Do I bring out the best in her? I'm challenged by these words personally, that we would be people that see the model of Jesus and go, Jesus, if that's how marriage should look like, please help me to be that spouse. Please help me to be a husband that speaks life and love and, 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 and just in the way, Jesus, that you love the church, help me to love my spouse. If you're married today, you know what I'm talking about. If you're married today, you know exactly where we're at. If you're single, then you're going, oh, oh help me find a man that brings that out of me. But I just love this so much because Jesus is teaching us the way to go all out in our relationships. It's almost as if Paul is showing us the parallels of love light, wisdom, and he pauses here on wisdom and he goes, oh, well, since we're talking about being a fool and living in wisdom, let's go to marriage. Because so many marriages struggle because we don't know how to get out of our foolish, immature tendencies and into the maturity of Christ the way we should serve one another. He's saying, guys, you know, I, I, as a father in the faith, I want to see you walk in love and I want to see, I can just, I can feel the, the spirit of a father right into his children. I want to see you walk in love and, oh man, don't, don't walk in, in darkness. You got light now and all this stuff. And, and, and the way that he describes marriage in this chapter is so beautiful and riveting. He is giving us a blueprint on how to have a successful marriage. He's saying the standard is not any other couple. You ever see another couple and you're like, I want that kind of marriage. It doesn't even pale in comparison to the marriage between Jesus and the church. This is the ultimate standard. This is the ultimate goal. And I'm believing over the marriages of Zoe Church that we will match this standard, that we will not walk as fools, but we will walk in wisdom. We will walk in the light. We will walk in love. And we, listen, I say this because I love you. Come on, the standard has been set. Jesus is the standard. Come on, somebody put your hands together and thank God on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. if you believe it. Come on, Ephesians chapter 5, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. 
We hope you are inspired and encouraged by the message. To get more information about Zoe Church, check out our website, www.zoechurch.org, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the newly added Snapchat under the handle Zoe Church LA. Have a blessed day.